You know, over the course of this worship series, we're going to be charting our way through the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer. We're going to think about the sacramental anchors of the church, baptism, the Lord's Supper. We're going to study what it means to be in a state of confession, receiving the absolution or the forgiveness more uh, commonly called the forgiveness of God. As we navigate those days, we're also going to navigate deeper into our hearts what it means to be a believing and faithful follower of this God. Let's reorient ourselves to one of the most important days in all of history. It's recorded in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 20. You may want to turn there in your physical Bible or, or call it up on whatever device you might be watching on right now. Exodus chapter 20 chronicles the day in which God met with Moses and gave the Ten Commandments, expressed to humanity in words the content of his moral character, his absolute unadulterated goodness. Let's read from Exodus chapter 20 and refresh ourselves with what makes God's heart tick when it comes to integrity, righteousness, when it comes to moral goodness. From Exodus 20, And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Well, that sounds like a pretty epic day to live. I can't imagine being at the foot of the mountain looking up thinking, Moses, he's toast. 
I can't imagine being Moses, receiving the law of the Lord, having come from the sinful rabble of people at the base of the mountain, thinking to himself, and i got to go take this back down to them? Uh, this is an epic day. But the reason why it's the most epic day, at least one of them in Scripture, is because God communicated clearly the nature of his moral integrity to humanity. The reason it's an epic day is because God communicated the integrity of his moral character to humanity. And we are to this day the recipients of that integrity. It's why if we're going to be honest about what we believe, if we're going to be honest about who we serve, if they're going to be honest about the values that we value as a Christian church, especially here in America, then we have to be honest with the fact that there are Ten Commandments and they express the sum and substance of the moral character of God. And if we are going to be called followers of God, then we have to take seriously the following of these Ten Commandments. Now, we know that all religion deals with morality, but oftentimes the morality of religion is forward-looking and hopeful. Um, oftentimes the moral compass of a religion, whether it's Christianity or Islam or Buddhism or Judaism or anything else in this world, that moral compass is hopeful. That is to say, this is what we hope you will become over time. So you're going to become uh, more holy. You're going to become less uh, murderous, less adulterous, less deceitful, less covetous, less idolatrous. You're going to become less of all these things and more of all the opposite, the good stuff that God expects of us. That's what religion trades in, is moral character and integrity. Except in Christianity. While there is a certain hope that we have as Christians that we are going to be perfected more and more with every day we walk with Jesus. That as Jesus says to the woman who was found in sin, go and sin no more after he had forgiven her. Now go and sin no more. Um, that hopeful future uh, really buckles under the greater present, and that is, these Ten Commandments exist to lead us to Jesus, the forgiver of our sins. Um, in this way, the Ten Commandments are not so much a curb for sinful behavior or a guide for future behavior. The most important thing these Ten Commandments do is that they help us understand that without Jesus, we are eternally compromised. We are lost in our sins. We are without ability to fully correct the corruption, the inward orientation toward failure, moral failure, that we see and experience each and every day. Martin Luther would say that in this regard, sin is like a mirror. It shows us who we are in our truest condition. That is to say, we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have, in fact, sinned against God in thought, word, and deed. 
Uh, your word indeed may be different from my word indeed. My word indeed may be more oriented toward this commandment, yours toward that commandment, but the fact of the matter is that both our words and deeds are in violation of some commandment, and therefore we need a common Jesus, the one that God sent in this world, coming not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that's why when we talk about what it is we believe, we go right to the heart of what we believe about the moral compass and character of the universe that is grounded and founded in God, its creator. And on the basis of that, we, well, to put it as Paul put it, this law is given so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. That's in Romans chapter 1 that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world accountable, held accountable to God. Because we realize these commandments are more than aspirations of our character down the road. More than that, they are an indicator of the reality, the failed reality we are currently living in. And you can understand why it's so divisive for me to talk to you about this. Because we all have our pet sins. We all have our commandments we love to violate. We all have the things that we treasure even though we know that they are not acceptable in the sight of God. So what say you? Uh, what do you think about me, your enemy, as I share with you this message today? Which commandment have you been light on lately? That God in this moment is saying, if you really believe in me, believe that you need to repent of this sin. And now, taking up my cross, your cross, come follow me. Forgiveness is complete. Every commandment has its Savior, and that Savior is singular. It is the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins, taking that punishment of death, the wages of sin being death, on himself, so that we may rise with him in his resurrection in the newness of life. But we have to be serious of what we're seeing in the mirror. And we cannot take it for granted. We cannot push it off for a later time. God confronts us through these Ten Commandments again and again and says, let's be honest. If we say we have no sin, the Apostle John will write later in the New Testament, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Hebrews, we read this verse, Let us throw off all that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles so that we can run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, what we believe, giving us that firm foundation, Jesus Christ. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And win that race. 
My brothers and sisters, it's going to be a great run this fall. We've got weeks ahead of us where we're going to continue to plumb the depths of what we believe as a Christian church. But it all starts with us being honest about who we are and what God has been for us. The source of moral law, the one who authors righteousness and the code of our Christian conduct. But at the same time, a God who through Jesus forgives our many sins and always welcomes us home as prodigal sons and daughters who have been wallowing with pigs for far too long. Let's come home and let's honor God by what we believe about Him, but just as importantly, about ourselves. And I hope we're still friends. Amen. And now may the grace of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ keep you and preserve you as you put this message into practice. Amen.